Nick was telling you that we're beginning a new series today uh, called The Heartbeat of Discipleship. And for a number of years now, we have opened uh, almost every worship service with uh, telling you that at Bethany, we are a place where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in his image. Uh, That's our mission statement here. That's how we live out what we believe the Great Commission is. The mission statement of the United Methodist Church is that we are making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world, and that comes from Jesus's command in Matthew 28. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's our uh, collective mission statement as followers of Christ, to make disciples of all nations. And, and so the way that we uh, embody that here is through this mission statement of being a place where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in his image. We, we're not a, a place uh, about making, getting members to join an organization. We're really about making disciples, about uh, creating, having the space and, and creating learners and followers of Jesus Christ. We're not about a transaction that you can give something and then you get something in return, but we're really about transformation about who we are and who we are becoming as we grow in our relationship with Christ. And at the heart of that transformation is to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ, and to grow in his image. Now, I'll tell you a funny story. Originally, when we uh, came up with this a number of years ago, we started with know Jesus Christ. We, We started with that being kind of the most important thing, that you know Jesus Christ, and then you experience God's love, and then you grow in his image. But that acronym is KEG, and um, we decided that for a number of reasons, EKG is better, uh, but it is, it really fits the flow of who we believe we are to experience God's love. When we talk about uh, the grace of God, we talk about experiencing God's prevenient grace, that, that before we even are aware of who we are or how much uh, God loves us, God is already loving us and wooing us, that experiencing God's love, and, and then knowing Jesus Christ, saying yes to following Jesus, and then offering our lives from that moment on to growing in his image, to that sanctifying grace. And so uh, we made the change from keg to EKG so that it really fits better with the heart of who we are. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking at the heartbeat of discipleship. And I invite you to consider doing your own kind of heart health check over the next couple of weeks. Uh, If we hooked you up to some kind of spiritual EKG, uh, what would that look like for you? There's There's a normal, regular heartbeat rhythm, right, which we all hope our hearts are are beating at, but... All of us know, too, the reality is that our heartbeats sometimes get out of rhythm, right? For a variety of reasons, there are a lot of reasons that our hearts might not be beating in a normal rhythm. Uh, Sometimes it's uh, health and exercise and and, uh, diet, how we take care of ourselves. Sometimes it's circumstances. Sometimes it's genetics, right? But but our goal is to have a a pattern of living with God, a a rhythm of living with God in, in which our heartbeat 
is in sync with God's heart. And the way that we understand that is in understanding how we can experience God's love and know Jesus Christ and grow in his image. For our physical heart health, there are things that we do, right? We, we pay attention, hopefully, to what our diet. We are, most of us keep being told to get more exercise, right? Cardio, you need to add cardio to your routine, right, about your heart. And to make sure that, that our oxygen level is flowing well enough to keep our heart working. It's no different, really, with our spiritual health, paying attention to what we take in to our bodies, to our hearts, and to our minds, to our souls, paying attention to our spiritual disciplines, the practices that keep us healthy, and understanding how every day we live, our very being is supported by the breath of God, the Holy Spirit, living empowered by the Holy Spirit. So I invite you to join with us in kind of assessing your heart health over these next couple of weeks, thinking about where you experience God's love, thinking about how it is that you know Jesus Christ, and considering how it is that God is inviting you to continue growing in his image. Let us pray. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears to hear and our hearts to receive your word and your truth to us, that it would take hold of us and transform us. And I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable to you, for you are our rock and our Redeemer. Amen. So the heartbeat of discipleship starts with experiencing God's love. The truth is that the whole of our scripture from Genesis uh, through the maps at the end is about God's love for us. In the beginning, we are created in the image of God. We are given life, the Spirit of God breathing life into us. When God creates human beings, he calls us very good. We're, we're created in that image. We're created to be in relationship with God and with one another. Now, we understand that there's some challenges to that, right? We understand that that first relationship with Adam and God and with Adam and Eve and God uh, was broken, was impaired, was damaged, and that we... That's part of what we inherit, right? But the call remains nevertheless to be in relationship with God and with one another. And even in the midst of this broken world, that's how we were created. God initiates a covenant with God's people. God chooses humankind with whom to be in relationship. God initiates that covenant with Abraham, right? And says, Abraham, uh, I'm going to use you. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to make your, your family, your, your children, to be children, to be children, to be children, right? And it's God who initiates that covenant. God chooses Abraham. God chooses God's people. I will be your God and you will be my people. That's God's love. And, and through the story of the Exodus, right, the people are enslaved in Egypt, and God sees them and hears their cries and raises up Moses to help deliver them into the promised land, to deliver them out of that slavery into freedom in the promised land. And in that land, God gives them the law, gives them ten commandments, not as a punishment. We sometimes think that the rules that, we're be, that we are given in life are uh, to keep us from having any fun, right? They're to keep us, uh, their punishment rather than empowerment. But, but the Ten Commandments really were an, an effort to help these people 
these human beings learn how to be in community with one another, how to be God's people set apart and different from their surrounding culture. God chooses them and gives them these boundaries. God chooses us and gives us boundaries as well to live in relationship with God and with one another. Out of love, God gives us this law. And then through the Old Testament, through the judges and the kings and the prophets and the priests, through all of that and and a cycle in which God and and the people go back and forth, the, the people are disobedient and then they cry out for God's help and God deliver, has mercy and delivers them again, and, and they recommit their lives to God, and then they fall back into disobedience, and then they cry out to God, and God hears their cries and delivers them. This whole cycle of what it means to be in that relationship with God as the people of God, always God is with the people, even when they are in exile, and even to bring them back home from exile, always with love. A love that says, I will be your God and and you will be my people. There's nothing that you can do to break that covenant because it's God who makes that covenant. God chooses us and, and loves us. The Psalms are filled with images of God's love, God's steadfast love. Psalm 103, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and do not forget all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good as long as you live, so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. God's steadfast love that provides healing and restoration and reconciliation and and redemption, who crowns our lives with steadfast love love. I encourage you this week to go read Psalm 136 as well. It outlines the acts of God and God's steadfast love, how God's love ties all of that together. Through the prophets out of Isaiah, but now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt as your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in exchange for you. Because you are precious in my sight and honored, and I love you, I give people in return for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not fear, for I am with you. The whole story of Scripture is about how much God loves us. God loves us and chooses us, even us, with whom to be in relationship for loving the whole world. The story of God's love for us continues in Jesus, and we're going to talk more about Jesus. I mean, we always talk about Jesus, right? Because Jesus is the answer to every every question and, and every topic, right? Uh, But next week, we're going to talk more specifically about Jesus, about what it means to know Jesus Christ. But the story of God's love continues in Jesus Christ. Jesus so determined to love us and for us to know God's love that that God would send Jesus to be one of us, to, to make that way possible for us to be in relationship with God. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. Not only did God send Jesus to be one of us to, so that we could know, but also that Jesus dies for us out of God's love for us. While we were weak, still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Indeed, rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might actually dare to die. But God proves his love for us, and that while we were still, while we still were sinners, Christ died for us. We didn't have to do anything. God loves us. We don't have to have all the right answers. God loves us. We don't have to earn God's love. It's a gift that God has given to us from the beginning of time, a gift that we simply have to receive. But we get caught up in the midst of this world and that defines love in so many different ways that we fall into the trap of thinking that somehow we have to do something. Surely we have to do something for God to love us. But no. While we still were sinners, while we still are sinners, God proves his love for us. Christ died for us, proving God's love for us. Love is, is where we start. It's where we come from. It's where we're going. And experiencing God's love is, is coming to understand that we are God's beloved. It is living into that love, that knowledge of how much God loves and cares for us. Despite what the world tells us, despite what our circumstances might indicate, living in that place of being the beloved. And in experiencing that, we're invited to experience it all around us. Sometimes we experience God's God's love best by loving other people, by loving others whom God loves It's one of the best ways that we experience that love ourselves. But certainly, coming to worship, being in prayer, we experience God's love in nature, in creation, in circumstances. When we look back at our life and we can see, and hindsight's always better, right, how God's hand has been upon us, especially in those times when we were certain that God had left us. God's love is steadfast and faithful from the beginning of time until the end of time. And we are still right here in the middle of God's love for us. We are God's beloved children, and we are called to love. Matthew, in in Matthew, Jesus reminds us, he reminds us in all the Gospels about uh, what it means to love. Somebody said, Teacher, which commandment in the law is the greatest? He said, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Remember, back in Exodus, God had to give the people a set of laws, not just the Ten Commandments, but then the people had all these other laws, over 600 laws that they had to follow in order to be God's people. And Jesus says, here's here's the deal. Loving God and loving others All of the law and all of the prophets hang on these two things. It starts with love. It comes down to love. It's going to end with love. Jesus, they would have been familiar with what he was saying because in Deuteronomy, as they had entered the promised land, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. 
Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The people would have known exactly what Jesus was talking about and would have begun to understand that our greatest call is to love God first with all that we have and to love one another. All of the other things come down to that. In 1 John 4, it kind of sums up a lot of this. Beloved, let us love one another because love is from God. We don't manufacture it. It's a gift from God. Everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, for God is love. God's love was revealed among us in this way. God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Beloved, since God loved us so much, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God lives in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and do, and we have seen and do testify that the Father has sent his Son as the Savior of the world. God abides in those who confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and they abide in God. So we have known and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. There's this relationship. You hear the thread of relationship, right? That, that we're living in God. We're abiding, we're dwelling in God and God's love, and God is living in us. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not reached perfection in love. We love because he first loved us. We love because he first loved us. Now, in this, the midst of this broken world, we get uh, pretty confused about what love actually means, what love actually looks like. There's different words in, in the Greek language for love. We've talked about these some before. Um, eros, which is the romantic or, or sexual kind of love. And there's been a whole bunch of fifth graders and some of their parents and volunteers who have spent all day today uh, in our Created by God Human Sexuality Seminar, uh, my fifth grader included. So I can't wait to get home and uh, find out what I don't know. Um, that's, that's a part of love, and, and that's an important part of love. There's philos or philios, which is familial or fraternal love. Uh, when you talk about Philadelphia, it's the city of brotherly love. And then there is agape, which is a godly, servant-hearted, sacrificial kind of love. Agape love, which is always considering the greatest good of the other. Right? And this is the love with which God loves us. And this is the love with which we are invited to love one another. To remove ourself out of that need, and love, knowing that we are already loved. You know, sometimes we get in what I call a fatal loop of, of believing that God doesn't love us, believing that what we've done is so bad that we can't be forgiven, and, and so then something will happen that will reinforce that sense in us that, that God must not love us, right? 
in this fatal loop where you never, you never end in life. But in this conversation about love, God is love and God loves us. And when we love, we love because God loves us, right? That's, that's a life-giving loop, right? Understanding that we love because we are loved. And, and I think sometimes we really struggle with loving other people because we struggle to believe that we are loved. We know Jesus says we're supposed to love other people. But it's hard to do that if you haven't experienced God's love for yourself. It's hard to do that if you think that you have to do something to earn God's love. It's hard to do that if you can't uh, understand or, or at least receive that you are a beloved child of God, adopted into the family of God, an heir of God. But that's exactly what Christ does for us. And God's Spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are beloved children of God. This is how God loves us and invites us to love. One of the most famous chapters on love in the New Testament is out of 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient, love is kind, love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, it believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. What would happen if you inserted your name or the word I or your name where it says love? I am patient. I am kind. I am not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. I do not insist on my own way. I am not irritable or resentful. I do not rejoice in wrongdoing, but I rejoice in the truth. I bear all things, believe all things, hope all things, endure all things. Man, it was so much easier when it was just the word love in there, right? We're called to love in this way. But the only way we can do this is if we know that we are loved. That we are loved by God. And that frees us to love one another. John Wesley struggled John Wesley, who grew up in, in the church, who uh, went uh, really straight into uh, college and, and being a priest, right, at age 34, found himself in a, a deep pit of despair and thinking that probably he had, um, was on the wrong path for his life. And so he went to uh, a, a meeting on Aldersgate Street. You, some of you know this story. On May 24th, 1738, he wrote this in his journal. In the evening, I went very unwillingly to a society in Aldersgate Street where one was reading Luther's preface to the epistle to the Romans. About a quarter before nine, while he was describing the change which God works in the heart through faith in Christ, I felt my heart strangely warmed. I felt I did trust in Christ, Christ alone for salvation, and an assurance was given me that he had taken away my sins, even mine, and saved me from the law of sin and death. This is John Wesley, uh, the founder of the Methodist movement, right? Who even after having been in the church his whole life, still struggled to know God's love. But he experienced God's love in a life-changing way pretty much when he was at the end of his rope, right? Wherever you are and whatever your experience is, 
It's never, ever too late for you to experience this deep abiding love of God as a gift to us. We don't have to earn it. We can't do anything. We can't do anything to earn it. And yet it's ours. This is out of a sermon that John Wesley wrote, A Plain Account of Christian Perfection. One cause of a thousand mistakes is this, not considering deeply enough that love is the highest gift of God. Humble, gentle, patient love. That all visions, revelations, or manifestations, whatever, are little things compared to love. And that all other gifts are either the same with or infinitely inferior to it. You should be thoroughly aware of this. The heaven of heavens is love. There is nothing higher in religion. There is, in effect, nothing else. If you look for anything but more love, you are looking wide of the mark. You are getting out of the royal way, that royal way being that that we are a priesthood of believers. And when you are asking others, have you received this or that blessing, if you mean anything but more love, you mean wrong. You are leading them out of the way and putting them on a false scent. Settle it then in your heart that from the moment God has saved you from all sin, you are to aim at nothing more but more of that love described in the 13th chapter of 1 Corinthians. You can go no higher than this till you are carried into Abraham's bosom and until death. More of love. Aim at nothing more than more of that love. It's not exactly what our world teaches us, right? Our world teaches us to get ahead, to pursue success, to achieve some kind of status in the world. John Wesley reminds us that love is where we start. It's where we're going to end up. It's what we aim for. I think it was Bob Grimes here, who a pastor here for a long time, who said that, that his goal, his mission was always to increase the capacity of love in the world. Love. It's about being loved by God so that we can love others. You know, I, I wonder, I do wonder what it would look like if all who profess to be disciples of Jesus, all who say that they are followers of Christ, what if we, what if we all really took this to heart? I mean, there's so much rhetoric, there's so much blame, there's so much anger, there's, there's so much uh, demeaning talk, there's so much ego and so much arrogance and so much that is decidedly not love in our world, in our culture, and sadly, friends, even in some of our churches. What would it look like if the followers of Jesus actually believed that we love because God loves us? What would it look like if we actually aimed at more love more than anything else? What would that look like? What about you? Have you experienced the depth of God's love for you? How deep the Father's love for us? The perfect song for today. Have Have you had that experience in which You know that you are the beloved child of God. Have you experienced God's mercy in such a powerful way that 
that you understand that you are forgiven. Certainly we continue to live in a fallen world. We continue to sin. We continue to wrestle with with love. But have you had the experience of God's love? Because once you've tasted God's love, once you've tasted it, you know it's there. And you're more open to receiving it. And I guarantee you're more open to offering it to others. This is a gift from God. The greatest gift from God. God's love for us. It it might not be magical. There might not be any fireworks in how you experience God's love. But there might be a quiet and deep and abiding sense of peace. That no matter how the world is swirling around you, you're going to be okay. No matter uh, what is happening in our world, all shall be well. Because we start with love and we're going to end with love. And everywhere in between, all of it in between, is love. That's, That's what it means. That's at the heart of the heartbeat of discipleship is experiencing God's love so that we know that we are led into becoming all that God has created us to be, that that sense of transformation. But having a healthy spiritual heartbeat begins in knowing that you are loved, experiencing God's love. I, I wonder, I wonder if you have, and if you haven't, sometimes experiencing God's love is is about letting go of everything you think love is. Everything you think about how God should love you or might not love you, letting go of whatever you hold so tightly to and simply letting God take your hand and show you how deeply and completely God loves you. We are a place here where we are leading people to experience God's love, to know Jesus Christ and to grow in his image. And our desire for all of us is that we really engage in this spiritual transformation in this coming year, that we commit ourselves to that transformation. But first, we've got to experience God's love. So I invite you to think about that this week, how you've experienced God's love, or maybe that you don't think you have. And if you are in that boat, I invite you to talk to me or to Jim or any of the pastors here. Barry's here as one of our deacons uh, associated with us. Um, talk to us. Don't stay quiet. Don't stay isolated. Don't stay alone. Because that's not what God intends for you. It's all about how much God loves us. And that love, once we receive it, is how we will live. And that is how we will make disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the whole world. It will start and end with love. Let us pray. Almighty God, we know that Scripture tells us that you are loving, that your steadfast love endures forever. We see stories of how you have rescued people and delivered people, and we know the stories of Jesus, uh, that he died for us out of great, your great love for us, his great love for us, that there's no greater way for us to experience that love than to, to recognize that and know that. We, we know that. But for some of us, it makes it hard for us because we can't quite get it into our hearts. We know in our heads and 
and yet we really long to know it in our hearts. So tonight, I, Lord, I pray that as you pour out your Spirit continually upon us, that if there are those who really have not experienced your love, that you would just break into their space and into their heart right now. Give them the assurance that they belong to you, that you have a purpose and a plan for them that is to love you and to love others. Let us in this community be so deeply abiding in you and in your love that we begin to witness the transformation of the world around us out of that great love. We give you thanks always for the ways you love us and the ways you lead us. And we pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.